This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. As you're turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter uh, 8, Mark chapter 8, we're continuing our series in... um, in Mark, and this is exciting a uh, couple weeks for me because as we've been studying this, I got really giddy about uh, this sermon. I'm really excited about these next two weeks. This week, I'm going to be starting kind of in the middle of Mark. We found kind of a two-week series that we're going to be doing on spiritual blindness, and it's going to start this Sunday and it's going to end next Sunday as Wayne will will finish it off for us. Pastor Wayne will be finishing that. And here's what I want to do. I want this slide to go up on the screen. It's uh, the connection of stories. And here's what I, I want us to see over the next couple of weeks, how all of this flows together. And, and what you're going to see in this connection of stories is that Jesus is the healer of spiritual blindness. If you walk out of here from, with anything today and next week, I hope you grab a hold of this, that Jesus is is the healer of spiritual blindness. This week, we're going to look at this kind of first two sections. We're going to look at what is spiritual blindness. We'll see that illustrated in the Pharisees. We're going to look at the disciples and spiritual blurriness. So we're going to look at that. And then we're going to read the middle section of a physical illustration of, of, of someone being healed of blindness and blurriness. And then what that will do is kind of launch Wayne into next week to show how Jesus heals of spiritual blindness and spiritual blurriness. What's awesome about how Mark puts this together, it's not on accident. It's so beautifully put together. It gives illustrations of both spiritual blindness and blurriness. And then it gives an illustration of how Jesus heals. We'll see that. And then it shows that being taken place in the life of the disciples. So we're going to really key in on spiritual blindness and blurriness. And here's what I want us to look at before we read it. Go to the next slide here for me. Now, if you look at this slide, it's just going to be, just leave it right there. What does that say? Does anybody know what that says? Nobody, okay? You, the, and the reason why is here's what I want you to know. There is something written on that screen, but there's a reason you can't see it, and the reason you can't see it is because it's the same color as the screen around it, right? It's it's just black. Go to the next scene. Can you read what that says? You could kind of start making it out. You could squint. You could kind of start checking out. You're like, okay, I see Jesus. I see surrender see to his will, I see, I mean, you're you're having to really squint to see it. It's blurry. It's blurry. Now go to the next one. Jesus is king, surrender to his will, and live joyfully in his kingdom. Every slide said that. Every slide that I just showed you said that, but On one slide, we specifically could not see it. On the next slide, we could make out a form of it, but it wasn't until it came into clear focus that we could understand and see. Every slide, I could have said, here is what this slide is saying. Jesus is king. 
surrender to his will, and live joyfully in his kingdom. I could have said it, and in the first slide you would have said, okay, I'll believe you because you put the slides together, but I don't see it. Or you could have said, you're crazy, it's just black, and you're just making things up. Then I could have gone to the next slide and said it, and you go, okay, I could kind of make it out, but it's blurry. But I could have told you that it was there. But because of blindness and blurriness, we, 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 we are as people, a people who say, I'll believe it when I what? See it. Now, the interesting part of the I believe it when I see it statement is this. Spiritual blindness is a real thing. And it's very, very dangerous. And the reason why we want to talk about spiritual blindness today is because I want us to see how dangerous spiritual blindness is, but I also want us to see what it takes to be healed from spiritual blindness. Here's why I think this is important for us. We're living in a world and in a culture where you are really beginning to see in very real ways how blind this generation is. How blind the world is around us. And I, and I will say this, we're seeing it in real clear ways through the events of these last months, but even this last week, we're seeing in very clear ways that when people see things that God specifically says is not according to his purpose, plan, and kingdom, and then we look at those things and say, no, I don't see it that way. God's wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is what's right. We call what is good, we call it evil. We call what is evil, we call it good. What is so dangerous about spiritual blindness is the fact that we believe we actually see. We don't understand our own blindness. And so in the midst of a world that we see around us because some, for some reason God has graciously opened our eyes to the realities of his kingdom and his will and we understand that Jesus is king and when you surrender to his will, you get to live joyfully in his kingdom. Can the church say amen to that? Amen. Can you, can you, amen? amen? When you believe this, it changes the way you see the whole world because God has opened your eyes and when that is true, not only should we be humbled by that, we should see not only have our eyes been opened, but how should we respond to people who are spiritually blind? And hopefully we see that today. Because I don't think that spiritual, blind, spiritual sight, when we see something, I don't think in any way we should have any sort of arrogance like we are something special. <laughs> because we know who's healed us. So here's what I want us to do. Now that I've given you plenty of time to get to Mark chapter 8, let's stand together. And we're going to read Mark chapter 8. And we're going to read Mark chapter 8 verses 11. And I'm going to read all the way to verse 26. And here's why I'm going to read to verse 26 is because I want to use this illustration even though Pastor Wayne is going to use this same illustration next week to illustrate all of those because I think all of these stories flow together. 
Wayne and I got really excited this week as we were studying this together. So uh, we had a little revival meeting in our study time, you know, laying hands on each other. We were falling out and catching each other at the same time. <laughs> it's powerful. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from, from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets full of broken pieces had you taken up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man and by the hand led him out of the village. And when he had spit in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him and said, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hopefully what you'll see in these next illustrations is what spiritual blindness is, what spiritual blurriness is, and then we'll end with talking about how Jesus is the healer of both spiritual blindness and spiritual blurriness. And then next week, Pastor Wayne will spend time diving into how he heals and the ways that he heals us. And he'll use the last two stories that we did not read. First, I want you to look at this story. Right after Jesus feeds 4,000 with seven loaves, this is just right after that, he comes in and Pharisees and Sadducees, they come to him and they begin to argue with him. So notice they're not just asking for a sign, but they're arguing with him and testing him. They have no desire. You know when this happens. When you're arguing with somebody, when you ask them a question, you don't really want the answer. You're trying to make a point. And your wife or your husband goes, what, you really want an answer for that? Yeah, I'm asking you a question, so answer the question. But you know they already know an answer and they already have it figured out in their mind. They're just putting a question out there just to kind of mess with you, right? This is what's happening here. 
These Pharisees do not care. No matter what sign is going to be shown, no matter what is going to be done, they already have a picture of who the king is and what his kingdom looks like, who the Messiah is and what the Messiah's kingdoms look like, and Jesus doesn't fit their little picture of that. So right after he feeds 4,000 people with leftovers, with seven loaves of bread, they come and say, give us a sign. <laughs> and you gotta, you gotta see, you gotta see the, the, the hilarity in that. Like they can't even go, wow, that was amazing. They're going, give us a sign that, that you are this one. And they tested him. They wanted another sign. Now, here's the interesting thing, and I, I don't know if you've had this case, but this happened to us a lot on this last vacation we went out. And, and if you have kids, you understand this, or maybe you are a kid and you still do this, stop it. It's annoying. But you're driving down the road, you just get on the road, and the first question and the ongoing question is, are we, what is it? Are we there? You all know it. You all know it, and it's like, Eventually, you're like, oh, no, it's in. You try to start with logic, like we're still, you know, about 400 miles away, and then we're 460, and the more it's asked, the more annoying it gets, and the more it's like, you just asked me four minutes ago. Give me a four-minute break, please. Over and over and over again. But what you try to do is every time you pass a sign that says San Diego and it says, you know, 360 miles or whatever it says on there, you point at that sign and you, and, and you say, look, San Diego, 368 miles. And, and, and by, the, by the time we were getting closer, the kids were getting so much more excited. The girls wanted my phone, you know, with GPS on it because I don't know where I'm going. They wanted to watch the numbers count down of the miles of how long it's going. And then they would say, 26 miles, that's 26 minutes or whatever it is. And they're counting down. They're watching it. They're watching it take place. And no matter how often I would point at a sign and say this is what's happening or how often they would look at the phone and say it's happened, they would always have to see another sign and always have to look at another number. Why? Because signs are never designed to fill the void of substance. Signs are not substance. They can never give you the substance that only the beach can give you, right? You go to the beach and you get there and it would be like standing on the beach. The ocean is right there and the kids look at me and say, are we there yet? There it is. Go get in the water. Go let the waves pound over you. There it is. Are we there yet? Where's the countdown? Show me the sign. Where is it? And I'm going, are you blind? It's right there. Just like as foolish as it would be for me to drive up to a sign that says San Diego 300 miles, jump out of the car with the kids and set up all the beach gear and go, we're here. They're like, where's San Diego? Look, there's the sign right there. Never going to be satisfied with a sign. It's never going to fulfill the logging of substance. And here's what the, the Pharisees are doing. 
The Pharisees are looking in the face of the one who is filled with the substance and the fullness of who the Messiah is. And they're looking at him and saying, where's the sign? Show us a sign. They were blind to the substance looking for signs. No matter how much they saw, no matter how much he said, no matter how many they saw healed, no matter what took place, it didn't matter. All they wanted was another sign. And we can fall into that same trap believing that if somebody is blind, all they need to see is one more time. Provision. One more time, people being fed. One more devil being casted out. One more healing. One more bill being paid. If if he'll do it one more time, Lord, I'll believe. But the reality is, they were blind. Asking for a sign. Spiritual blindness is more dangerous than physical blindness when somebody is physically blind they know they cannot see so they rely on other senses but when somebody is spiritual blind spiritually blind the reason why it's more dangerous is because they think they can see and they think they know and they think they understand no matter how much you explain no matter how much you see no matter how much you say Jesus is king surrender live under his rule and reign Live joyfully in his will, no matter how much you call them to this great and glorious kingdom. They're going, that's not good. That's wicked. That's not love. That's hate. When somebody is blind, they can't see. Spiritually blind. The biggest deception of that is they think they can. And when you look at somebody who's spiritually blind, often we can respond in very prideful and wicked ways. We could go, you're so stupid. You can't see. You never can see. No matter how. I've told you so many times. I keep telling you. You never listen. But look at how Jesus responded. Jesus sighed deeply. That word for sighed is this inner, you get, Mark is giving you a by the Spirit, glimpse into the heart of the Redeemer. His heart is broken. There's anguish, there's pain. He's sighing deeply saying that he can't see and then he responds with this great heartbreak but this heartbreak does not lead to him showing them a sign. It leads to judgment. This is hard for us to look at. Because what does Jesus do in showing them judgment? He walks away and doesn't do anything. A lot of people think judgment is God zapping people and killing them. But Romans shows us, and this text shows us, that judgment is not God zapping people and killing them. Judgment is God saying, fine, you want to be your own God? I'll take my hands off. You can run your own life. That's judgment. 
It's a people who think they know everything and think what they call evil is good and what they, what they call good is good and what they call evil is evil. What God calls evil is actually good and what God calls good is actually evil. They want to be their own gods. They want to run their own life. They have their own picture of everything that's there and it's at that point that at the heartbreak of the Savior, he gives them over to their sin and says, fine, you want to run your own life? That's my judgment. And they kill themselves. It's death. It's death. They don't get to be a part of his kingdom. They live in their blindness and they are blind for the rest of their lives. Ouch. Because many of us think that this kind of judgment is not how the Savior operates. When we actually see it played out in front of us, when we actually read Romans and it says they worship and serve the Creator rather than they worship and serve creation rather than the Creator, and part of God turning them over to themselves is them living in all kinds of lusts and perversions. Read Romans 1, it will mess with you. That when people don't have a God, here's what they do. Hear me on this. They try to identify themselves as things outside of God. And what do we see in the world around us? We see people trying to find their identity in everything else rather than God. And what do you see? A ton of confusion. Nobody knows if they're men or women. Nobody knows what their sexual orientation is. Nobody knows what anything is. Why? Because they're living in a confused place because they want to be their own gods. They don't want God to tell them who they are. They want to determine that for themselves. They don't want to live under his kingdom. They don't want to live under his rule and reign. And they walk around thinking they can see, but they're blind. And we stand on the side going, you're stupid. That's not the response, church. That's not the response. We were blind. There should be heartbreak at every moment like this in culture. When blindness is pervading around us, there should be heartbreak. There should be deep agony and prayer. And there shouldn't be violent response. There should be, God, show mercy. He walks away gets in the boat with his disciples. And then we see a picture of spiritual blurriness. Picture this, if you will. The disciples forgot to bring bread. <laughs> they get in the boat and they feel, realize they only have one piece. Okay? Picture this. And they're freaking out. Just picture this, like, we never get anything right. You know what I mean? <laughs> we never plan ahead. He's going to get really upset by this. I mean, look, I mean, every time we go place, we're with thousands of people, and every time he's like, how much bread do you have? It's like four pieces. <laughs> we don't have any bread. They're all talking and trying to figure it out, and Jesus looks at them. And warns them. And he says to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. 
they look at each other and go, see, I knew he wanted us to have more bread. Can you believe it? He knows we don't have the bread. What are we going to do? They were so concerned about doing it right, about having it right, about having food and hunger. They were so concerned about all these things that Jesus is trying to teach them and show them and disciple them and say, do not fall into the same trap of the Pharisees. Do not get spiritually blind. And what do they do? He's talking about bread. Now in that, can you just see with me that Jesus begins to lovingly rebuke. Can I, can I just help you with this? When someone loves somebody, they do rebuke them. Do you hear that? When you don't love somebody, you don't. But when you love somebody, you discipline those who you love. So Jesus is disciplining his disciples. I want you to contrast this from how he deals with the spiritual, the spiritual disciplines of the Pharisees. He does not rebuke them. He walks away. But when it comes to his disciples, he comes into and begins to work with the blurriness there and he begins to rebuke them. And listen to what he says to them. If you look, you can see how he begins to... To, to rebuke them and Jesus says why are you discussing the fact that there's no bread do you not yet perceive or understand have your hearts been hardened have your eyes do not do you have eyes but you don't see do you have ears but you don't hear and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves the 5,000 how many baskets were left over and they said 12 he said I remember when just like a few hours ago fed 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. How much did you take in then? Seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Notice this. Spiritual blurriness is people who are more worried about what they've done and their own provisions than they are about the king and his kingdom. They're worried that they didn't do it right. Can you just see how they, they could just be sitting there, man, I, we only brought one piece and all these kinds of things that are happening, we could have prepared better. We just took up seven baskets and we only have one piece left. And Jesus isn't even talking about not having enough bread. Can you see what he's saying to them? He's going, look, I don't care if you have one piece of bread. I just fed 4,000 people with seven. Like, we only got 12 here. One's going to be enough. And you're worried about bread. When I'm trying to deal with the heart of the leaven that goes into being a blind and fierce, I'm trying to disciple you and work you through this, and you're worried about external things. That's, that's where blurriness starts to come in. Can you notice that we get so concerned about how we don't do everything right all the time? Notice that. We, we are constantly in that place. How can God still have us as his disciples when we never do everything that's right? 
We're so concerned about us doing everything right and doing it all the right way. And then on top of that, we are far more concerned about eating, provision, paying bills, taking care of things than we want to admit. And that no matter how many times God shows us that he provides for us and takes care of us, the minute something else goes wrong, we are freaking out. And Jesus uses a rebuke that is a a direct pull from Jeremiah 5.21 where the prophet Jeremiah says, are you blind? You have eyes and you cannot see. He's using the, the same rebuke and Jeremiah uses this rebuke when the people of Israel were more caught up with their own concerns about themselves than they were about the injustices and weaknesses and brokenness of the world around them. Notice this. Jesus is rebuking them for their spiritual blurriness. And what is causing that blurriness? They're more worried about themselves and their own things than the brokenness and the injustices of the world. They have not yet understood the king and his heart and his mission, which is what we're going to look at next week. They're looking at their mistakes. They're looking at their needs. They're looking at their hungers. They're looking at all of those things. Yes, they see a little bit, but they don't see it all. Now, here's here's why I want to add this story that just comes in the middle of all of this beautiful layout of spiritual blindness. Because I think what we could do in this, if we're honest, some of us may not, But most of us in this room, as the spirit is moving in our hearts, if we're honest, and I'm, I'm being honest in that I'm the same way, are sitting here and going, I might be blind. I, I constantly, uh, constantly lose sight. I, I don't know, maybe the leaven of the Pharisees is in me or, or maybe you're hearing this and if you're like me, you're going, I see things far more blurry than I want to admit. I'm more worried about my life, the way things are for me, my right standing, whether or not he's going to provide something for me. I'm far more worried and concerned about bread than I am about the kingdom of God. And if you have a, the leaven of the Pharisees in you, your response will be self-righteous. And you will do this. I need to squint a lot harder so I can see better. I, I can see it. I know. I have the, I can, let me just squint. Oh, I can, yeah, okay, I'm starting, start, let me squint, let me see, what is this, I'm, I'm seeing the blurriness, what, I, I can work, it. I can try harder, or let me just act like I see, let me pretend like I have it all figured out, and you'll try, and not only put that on yourself, but It makes a lot of sense why you see a lot of Christians putting that on people around them and walking around going, just open your eyes. Are you dumb? Look. Their hearts don't break. The only way your heart breaks 
is when you realize I was blind, but now I see. If it wasn't for grace, I would not have any sight. And the only way you come to God in your blurriness is not if you respond like the first, but if you come and say, God, I need you to continue to open my eyes. And that's why I think it's amazing that right between these stories in this week is this physical illustration of the only time in Scripture where God heals somebody in stages and not immediately. That, that, that story forces you to ask this question. Why did Jesus pull the blind man out of the town and spit in his eyes and then say, open them? And he's going, do you see? And he's going, kind of. That's the interesting part of, for me because a lot of people in my past have looked at this text and preached it, and I've heard it preached saying Jesus had the power, the man didn't have the faith. I hate that. I hate that because it puts it on the man to heal himself rather than putting it where it should be. Could it be that Jesus had just dealt with spiritual blindness and spiritual blurriness and was about to clear up spiritual blindness and spiritual blurriness and right in the middle he wanted to show a physical illustration of how he heals. And the only time, every other time Jesus casts out a demon, they're gone. It's not like stages, right? It's a, this is the time that he places this story. The only time he heals in these stages. And this is a powerful illustration to this. When we understand spiritual blindness and spiritual blurriness, what we're going to see next week, and I don't want to spoil this for you, but I just want you to hear this because I don't want you walking out of here this week without hearing this. You cannot heal yourself. You cannot open your own eyes. And if you see anything clearly, it's because Jesus has opened your eyes. And if you see anything blurry, it's because Jesus has opened your eyes and is continuing to open your eyes to the reality of who he is. There's something I want to be accused of as a pastor. And I've had this happen multiple times. People want me to tell them, just tell me what I should do. So many times, and some of you in this room have done that to me. Just tell me what to do, pastor. Like if I laid out a whole list, you would walk away like a good student and do it. Just tell me what to do, pastor. Just give me a bunch of practical things at the end of the sermon, though I can walk out of here and live my life for God the way that it needs to be done. And listen, church, there's something I want to be constantly accused of, and that's this. When people get to the end of a sermon or when people get to an end of a time with me, I want them to be desperate for God to move in their life. I want them to not have any other option except God's spirit to move. I want them to be completely weak and I want them to be begging for God to touch them. I want them to throw their selves at the mercy of God. Because here's what the truth is. If you don't have his grace and you don't have his touch and you don't have his mercy, you don't have anything. So when we get to the end of sermons like this, our hearts should be so stirred to this reality. Jesus 
is the only one who can cure me of blindness. And if I see anything at all, even if I see blurry, it is because God has graciously opened my eyes. And maybe I've gotten distracted by the cares of this world, but it is God's grace right now that he doesn't just wipe his hands and walk away from me, but that he is in the process of clearing up my sight and showing me more clearly that God is actively at work in my life, should be. Great encouragement to the believer. That right now what we need to hear and what we'll hear next week is Jesus is the one who opens our eyes. What's the difference between story one and story two and how is that illustrated in story three and then we'll pray. The difference between story one and story two. In story one, Jesus walks away and leaves them in their blindness. In story two, Jesus actively helps them and engages in their blurriness. What happens in story three? A group of people bring a blind man to Jesus and they beg him to heal. Who are we? I hope that in this place, who we are, are those people coming before God, begging him to open our eyes. Begging him. And here's the reason why. Because some of us in this room will go, well, what if he doesn't do it? That's judgment. You wouldn't care if he did anyways. You wouldn't care if he did anyways. For some of us, hearing that we have to be completely dependent upon God's grace and mercy is just going, if he showed you a sign, you wouldn't believe it anyways. You, you don't care. But for those of us who know that his grace is all that we have, we have to understand that we have to continually come and lay ourselves before the feet of Jesus, asking him, open my eyes. Let me see more clearly. And as I was talking to my son right after the service, we were crying together just, how do I know if I'm blind? How do I know? We were talking and praying together and I loved just those times of just coming before the Lord and letting him work and in that moment realizing, realizing that that's the best place for us to be. If he didn't open your eyes, you wouldn't even know you wanted him. If he didn't open your eyes, you wouldn't even know that his kingdom was good and his plan is, is best. If he didn't even patiently continue to rebuke you and discipline you, you would continue to focus on external things, but he keeps pulling you back to how much you need him. You never see more clearly, and Wayne will talk about this next week, you never see more clearly than when you're looking in the face of Jesus. It's when you're looking at other things that you get confused and blurry. So turn your eyes to Jesus, church. Let's pray. God, right now, as we come to this table, many of us are asking 
I don't have enough bread. I'm not doing everything right. I should have had enough, and I keep coming back, and I'm always failing. How do I know he's going to provide for me this time? How do I know he's going to take care of this? And instead of answering you with judgment, he points you to the body and blood of Jesus. Saying that in this bread is the only place you will ever be filled. In his body are the only places you will ever never thirst again or hunger again. The only place you'll truly be satisfied is in him. Don't be blinded about the things of the world. Believe and trust that he is king and his kingdom is good. The way his kingdom the way his kingdom is laid out from creation on is the way that he has set things in place. And that he changes hearts and loves people and cares and opens blind eyes. Some people are living under judgment and we get to live under grace. And as we come to this table, we're not saying we're better. What we're saying is we're hungry, we're thirsty for grace. We continue to come every week to this table crying out. We don't want to come with arrogance or pride. We want to come humbly needing you, Jesus. Church, wherever you're at, whether you're feeling like, man, I'm blind. Could today, could you cry out and beg and cry out and know that it is Jesus who heals and will heal and can heal and will open your eyes to him and show you who he is? For those who have blurriness in their sight and they can't see beyond their problems and their own sin, could you ask God to open your eyes, to clear up the focus, to set your eyes on the king and his kingdom? We're going to do two things today. We're going to open up the time of prayer and singing, and we're just going to open up the table, and we're just going to spend 15 minutes just praying. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you all stand with me this morning and let's posture ourselves in a place of worship as the elders and deacons who are going to come and pray. They're going to be over here. If you want prayer, we'll pray for you. If you want to just come and partake of the table, you can do that. If you want to just stay and sing, we're just going to open up this time for a time of response. We're all corporately crying out together for His Spirit to move and open our eyes. We're crying out for the world around us that our hearts would break, that God would show and show up and open the eyes of our brothers and sisters and those in the world around us, that God would move and touch, that we know He's powerful and good. So Lord, we ask today, we come. We come crying out to You. We hate often being in a place where we're desperate and dependent, but that's what faith is. We are completely dependent upon you. 
and you will never let us down and you will never fail and your grace is sufficient and you are good and wonderful and you are the one who's healed. You're the one who's opened my eyes. You're the one who's brought me new life. You're the one who's changed my heart. But God, I've got distracted. Things have happened in my life. God, maybe I've been blinded and maybe there's some in this room who are, are, are blinded. But God, right now I'm asking by your spirit, do not judge, do not leave, do not walk away. But would your hand reach out and touch the, 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 the people that you have loved and created with? Father, I pray that as we run to you, your word says as we seek you, we'll find you. As we come before you, you're not hiding from us. But God, you are making yourself known to your people right now because you love us. So we respond in desperation. We respond in dependence. We respond in faith. Church, the tables are open to come and eat of his body and drink of his blood. The prayer team is over here. Let's respond in just a time of worship. However you feel led to respond. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.